Welcome to How I Wrote This, a show about writers, their books, and the story behind their stories. I'm your host, Pamela Hensley, and in season two, I travel to Berlin. Learn what it's like growing up in a divided city, fleeing the country, living here as a Jewish expat. Join me as I speak to winners and contenders of the German Book Prize, the Thomas Mann Prize, the Dublin Literary Award, and the International Booker. Season two of How I Wrote This begins on April 23rd. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Montreal, 1971. A 29-year-old David Cronenberg found himself flat on his back on a studio floor, angling his film camera up at two actors, simulating sex on a swing. Believe it or not, this was a job interview. He had returned to Canada just a few months earlier, following a year-long sojourn in France. After his brief brush with the glitz and glamour of the Cannes Film Festival, David was determined to find work as a director, which in Canada was easier said than done. The feature film industry was non-existent at the time. He did manage to eke out some contracts with the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, where he saw many of his U of T and film co-op friends end up. David and his partner Margaret were also expecting a baby, their daughter Cassandra. He was in need of money, but didn't see a future for himself at the CBC, or the National Film Board of Canada, for that matter, which was really only interested in making documentaries and animated shorts at the time. So. He looked to French Canada for work. 1969 had seen the release of Valérie, a film that tells the story of a young woman who leaves her convent to take up with bikers and hippies in Montreal. You know where is Paul? It's me. I'm searching for a room. There's a guy there who told me that you're occupied with that. We can always arrange that. It was the first Quebec movie to feature nudity, and it was a hit, grossing $1.6 million against its $80,000 budget. Valérie was also significant for launching a new subgenre, the maple syrup porn, and the company behind it was Cinepix, out of Montreal. Based on the strength of his earlier works, Stereo and Crimes of the Future, Cinepix heads John Dunning and Andre Link gave the young Cronenberg the opportunity to shoot a camera test for one of their upcoming softcore films entitled Loving and Laughing. Paired with two young actors vying for roles themselves, Cronenberg spent the test focused on capturing interesting angles of the two on-screen lovers. Upon reviewing the rushes from that afternoon, John Dunning pulled the director into his office. Well, David, we watched your rushes. Uh Uh-huh. I can see you've got a sexual sensibility. David smiled at what he perceived to be a compliment coming. I'm just not sure what kind it is. The young director left the Cinepix offices that day without a job. The directing gig would go to John Sohn, who had previously directed for the company the movie Love is a Four-Letter World, but it wasn't a total loss. On the strength of his experimental films and his oblique screen test, David Cronenberg had managed to wedge open the doors at Cinepix. For his next project, he knew he had a receptive audience in John Dunning, and at that time, that project would be a script titled Orgy 
of the blood parasites. Knockabout Media, I'm Ryan Barnett, and this is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood North, the podcast in which we dive into the history behind your favorite CanCon. This is the second episode in our series on filmmaker David Cronenberg. In our last episode, young David went from film fan to aspiring author to experimental filmmaker. In this episode, he dives headlong into movie making as he helms his first feature film. This is episode two, How to Lose Friends and Alienate Funders. Television, City TV, Channel 79, Cable 7. Toronto, 1972. Margaret Hinson laid awake in bed next to her partner, David Cronenberg. She rubbed her pregnant belly as she considered the change that was coming for them both. In a few short months, they would welcome their first child into the world, and nothing would ever be the same again. As she laid there that night, David began to kick in his sleep and mutter to himself. This went on until Margaret decided to wake him. She put her hand on his shoulder, giving him a gentle shake. David. Hmm? David. What? What? What is it? You okay? You were talking in your sleep. Was? Was it a nightmare? No. No, I don't think so. It's just uh I think it was just a dream. Do you remember what it was about? Um there's um like a a woman. She had um, a spider living inside of her. It came out at night and crawled from her mouth while she was sleeping. Oh, that sounds horrifying. No, it was it's all pretty normal, actually. She had this creature that happened to live inside her and and come out at night and crawl around the house, crawl back inside her mouth before the sun came up and life goes on. David got out of bed. I'm going to write this down. I'll, I'll be back. He left Margaret alone in the dark. She resumed rubbing her belly and staring at the ceiling, but sleep was not in the cards for her that night. The visual of a spider crawling out of a woman's mouth sparked an idea for a new script. It was the story of a deadly organism taking over a high-end apartment complex. Once it was completed, David's first call was to Montreal and John Dunning at Cinepix. He sent the script to the Skinflick impresario, and Dunning flipped for it. Up to this point, Cinepix had continued to do decently well with their so-called maple syrup porn. Films like L'Amour Roumain, Pile ou Face, or the English language, love is a four-letter world, but they hadn't yet broken the American market. Dunning was savvy enough to know that that wouldn't happen with a TNA picture. But a horror film could do well as the Cinepix Trojan horse into American movie theaters. 
Dunning immediately began shopping the script around. In the Canadian context, that meant taking it to the Canadian Film Development Corporation for funding. Founded in 1967, the CFTC, what is now called Telefilm, is a crown corporation designated to help create a Canadian motion picture industry through financing and promotion. They would help fund such seminal Canadian films as Going Down the Road, Madeleine Is, and The Mystery of the Million Dollar Hockey Puck. When Dunning showed the script to Michael Spencer and others at the CFTC, they waved him off. Take it to the Canada Council for the Arts, they said. We're trying to support commercial filmmaking, and this script that Cronenberg wrote is disgusting and perverse. That's Arts Council stuff. Well, of course, Orgy of the Blood Parasites was equally radioactive for the Arts Councils. And there it sat, deemed too extreme to be either commercial or artistic. Maybe it was all around too much for Canada. The Cinepix Trojan horse into the States proved impossible to make with Canadian tax dollars, the only real way to mount a motion picture in Canada. So, David Cronenberg decided to head south and try his luck in Hollywood. This is TV Ontario, broadcasting via the NXB satellite directly to Northern Ontario. Los Angeles, 1973. David Cronenberg sat at the front reception of New World Pictures. New World was the production and distribution shingle of famed B-movie mogul Roger Corman. Corman is best known as the director of Little Shop of Horrors and The Wild Angels but also the producer who helped launch dozens of careers, including those of Francis Ford Coppola, Martin Scorsese, Jack Nicholson, Polly Platt, James Cameron, John Sayles, Gail Ann Hurd, Joe Dante, James Horner, Carl Franklin, Ron Howard, Robert Town, a lot. He launched a lot of careers, hiring young talent to make movies for cheap. Car movies, drug culture movies, motorcycle movies, horror movies. He had done the rounds of the LA low-budget production companies, but if David Cronenberg was to make it in L.A., Roger Corman's company would be the place from which to do it. He had his script, Orgy of the Blood Parasite, stuffed under his arm. He was there for a meeting. But as he waited to talk to the big man, Corman was on his way out. He was scheduled for a root canal that afternoon. Corman did stop to say hello before beating a hasty retreat. That afternoon, David Cronenberg ended up meeting with John Davidson, a producer at New World, in Davidson's office. David asked the producer point-blank, Is this insane? Am I crazy? He really wanted to know. In Canada, they think I'm nuts. They're saying I can't do it for the budget I'm proposing with all the special effects, and one guy said even if I could make it, why would I want to? A smile crept across Davidson's face. I thought I wrote something commercial. Am I nuts? Listen, David... I don't know what they're looking for from where you're from with artist grants and government funding, but I'll tell you the one thing that I do know. I could pack a drive-in tonight based on this title alone. He said, thumping his finger on the top sheet of Cronenberg's script. Orgy of the Blood Parasites. Practically programs itself. Was that a compliment for a script? David didn't really know. We maybe do a million, million two double feature with this title. I could see New World making this picture for sure, so no, no. You're not crazy. Not crazy. That was a bit of good news. But it was far from a green light. David left the New World offices that day buoyed by the vote of confidence, but no closer to directing his next picture. While in LA, he was staying with a fellow Canadian boy and friend from his Toronto film days, 
Lauren Michaels, who himself was in the process of producing a TV special for comedian Lily Tomlin, and was still a couple years off from creating the thing that would make him famous. Live from New York, it's Saturday night! One afternoon, Michaels invited his couch-surfing friend from Toronto to a lunch he was having on the beach with actress Barbara Steele. By that point, Steele was an icon among a certain kind of filmgoer. She was the beauty with the scorching stare, the star of Italian horror films like Mario Bava's Black Sunday or Roger Corman's The Pit and the Pendulum. Accompanying her at the lunch was another young director, Jonathan Demi. Demi was part of the New World Pictures cadre of filmmakers, co-writing and producing movies like Angel's Heart as They Come and The Hot Box. He was currently mounting his directorial debut, Caged Heat, a women in prison film that featured Barbara Steele in a supporting role as the warden of the prison. Prison as a place of punishment. As the group ate and shared industry stories in Gaza, David mentioned his script and how after experiencing zero traction in Canada for Orgy of the Blood Parasites, he had traveled to LA in the hopes of finding funding in Hollywood. I've read that script, Debbie piped in. It's a good script, you you wrote that? David looked at the director, who was perplexed. Whoa, 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 hold on. How did you get the script? It's a Cinepix in, in Montreal. Demi realized that maybe he stepped in it. I, uh, I think those guys in Canada wanted to know if I directed. The blood drained from David's face. It was a double cross. Was Dunning really shopping his script around to other directors? Uh, to be honest, I, come to think of it, the way they talked about it, I, I thought something funny was maybe going on. There is no way anybody is going to direct that script but me. I'll burn it first. Soon enough, David's time in L.A. came to an end. Still seething about the Cinepix double-cross, he boarded a plane to Toronto, ready to do battle once he returned to Canadian soil. He was prepared to rip a strip off of John Dunning. He had the TNA impresario's number. That double-dealing Quebec Anglo fuck. David wanted to make the trip to Montreal just to have it out face-to-face. But before he could do that, he received a message left for him while he was in Los Angeles. It was from Cinepix. They had good news regarding Orgy. The Canadian Film Development Fund had taken another look at Cronenberg's script, and, upon further consideration, they were prepared to put up the funding with him attached as director. So it turned out, David Cronenberg would be making the trip to Montreal after all, but with an entirely different agenda. He was going to direct his first feature film. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. August 1974, the CFTC contributed $70,000 to produce Orgy of the Blood Parasites. Its total budget was $180,000. Certainly not a fortune now, and it wasn't a fortune then. To illustrate just how not a fortune it was, just the year before, The Exorcist was made for $12 million. Or comparing apples to apples, 
In that same year, the CFTC would provide funding for Bob Clark's sorority horror film Black Christmas, which was budgeted at $620,000. At 180k, the budget would be stretched thin for Orgy. To manage this budget, Cinefix had paired Cronenberg with a fellow Toronto-based filmmaker, Ivan Reitman. He was still a few years away from directing Bill Murray pictures like Meatballs, Stripes, and a decade away from making Ghostbusters. But Reitman was a more experienced filmmaker, having previously directed the features Foxy Lady and Cannibal Girls. Cannibal Girls. They're young, beautiful, and very, very sexy. He also had decidedly more commercial instincts than Cronenberg. Remember, in order not to offend or horrify those in the audience of a squeamish or prudish disposition, the sound of a bell in the theater will warn you when to close your eyes or turn away so that you may avoid witnessing certain scenes of an especially erotic or gruesome nature. With Reitman in place, Cinepix felt better about entrusting $180,000 to their untested director. For his part, David tried at least to put up a front that he knew what he was doing, but there appeared to be a vast chasm between movie making and whatever he had been up to by that point. He was moving from a crew of one, plus a few friends, to something the size of a baseball team. Not only did he now have his own cameraman, but his cameraman came with another guy who was just in charge of pulling focus. He had an art director, but also a set dresser. He had an assistant director, but for what, he wasn't sure yet. In that first production meeting, they went around the table and the department heads introduced themselves. And for his part, David stayed quiet, searching for context clues that could give him a better idea of each of their roles. Which one of his former hats, for instance, was the continuity girl in charge of? And what was the difference between a producer and a production manager? And how could Don Carmody be both? While in unsure waters, David committed himself to the art of the bluff. If he could just convince some of the people some of the time, he was sure that he'd pick up what he needed to know by the time they went to camera. Cronenberg had just 15 days to shoot his film. He and his crew set up shop in a high-rise on Nuns Island, located just outside of Montreal. It was an occupied residential building, which proved to have its own pros and cons. They had to be conscientious of tenants while they filmed their orgy of the blood parasites. David had to stage the mayhem while keeping in mind that others in that space had jobs to go to in the morning. But for a low-budget picture, shooting in a populated residential tower meant that they had access to furnished apartments. They couldn't afford to build and dress standing sets, not at $180,000. But they found some residents who were willing to open up their apartment doors for the film crew. Each unit on offer was then assigned to a particular character who best suited its contents and decor. It was set dressing in reverse, or perhaps casting locations. The first-time director also took up residence in the tower. For the duration of the shoot, David slept in the props-slash-special-effects room, surrounded by parasite puppets and buckets of movie blood. The production of orgies was more technically complicated than anything David had made before. The makeup and effects added a layer of complexity to the shoot that pushed against the constraints of their two-week-plus-a-day schedule. While writing the script, David envisioned the titular blood parasites as the microscopic bugs that fascinated him as a child, only on a macro scale. Slug-like creatures the size of a fist that crawled out from the characters' mouths, like the spider from his dream, or indeed they could burst from one's chest. 
Tasked with executing the complicated creature effects was Joe Blasco, who himself was a former makeup artist for The Lawrence Welk Show. Thank you. Thank you. From our hearts, thank you very much for your hundreds of thousands of letters and phone calls to TV stations, to us, and to the news media asking for our show to continue. Thank you very much to our... According to some sources, Orgy had more effect shots than The Exorcist. This included the creatures, which were wire and finger puppets, but also creating a fake human chest, which with the incorporation of air bladders, more commonly known as children's party balloons in this case, could boil and pulsate as if something were crawling beneath his skin. Shooting with effects was finicky and slow. In an appearance on Letterman years later, David would describe it. And in fact, it's kind of like trying to get a performance out of a bowl of shrimp salad, actually. Because <laughs> um, it just lies there and, and it's kind of, you know. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's agonizing and uh, I hate it. But Joe Blasco was a whiz with fishing line, foam rubber and a little KY jelly. Given all the special considerations needed by the special effects, time to work with the actors on dialogue scenes was limited. While casting orgy, Reitman and Cronenberg had thrown a wide net allowing for walk-ins during the audition process. For the most part, the first-time director was working with a cast of entirely first-time actors. However, he also pulled from the stable of Cinepix regulars, including Sue Helen Petrie. Petrie had appeared in a number of Cinepix sex comedies prior to her casting in Orgy. In fact, Petrie's previous credits include Loving and Laughing, the film David had initially pitched himself to direct for John Dunning and Andre Link. Having demonstrated her abilities as a light comedian, Petrie, was eager to take the role of Janine in Orgy of the Blood Parasites, a role that would call on her to capital A act, as she was tasked with crying throughout the bulk of her time on screen. There was just one catch. According to Cronenberg, she couldn't cry on cue. She told her director that he'd have to slap her. Sue, I don't want to slap you. We'll cut up some onions and see how we do. And they tried that for a spell, but in the end, they developed a system. Before a take, David and Sue would go into a side room away from the crew. He would slap Petrie across her cheeks. He'd slap her hard, hard enough to make her cry. They'd then enter the set, take their places and... Action! And this continued on until it was routine for both cast and crew. That is, until Barbara Steele arrived on set. After their meeting in California, David felt open to offer the queen of all Scream Queens a plum role in his feature directorial debut. Before shooting her first scene on the Montreal set, one in which she and Petrie were to share a parasite kiss. Steele observed this routine for the first time. She watched her director take another actress offset and... David and Sue returned to shoot the scenes. Quick everybody places! The actors took their places, readying for action. Even the stunned Barbara Steele. And action! And they were in the scene. Do I feel good to you? But the moment David called cut, 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 Barbara was on her feet and in the director's face. You bastard, she said. She had worked with some of the biggest directors in Europe. She had worked with Fellini. And she had never seen an actress treated this way by her director. Five foot ten inches in heels and intimidating as hell, Steele grabbed David by his collar and pushed him against the wall. Barbara, please, don't hit me. She asked me to do it. 
When Sue confirmed that it was her idea and done with her consent, Barbara backed away, just an inch or two. Then Steele said, show me. What? She held up her forearm for a demonstration. Show me how hard you slap her. Reluctantly, David tried his best to replicate the force of the slaps on the actress's arm. That hard, she said, still backed against the wall. David nervously nodded. She then paused for a moment and then asked her director, David, do I have any crying scenes in this film? Uh, no, Barbara, you don't. Thank, thank God. August 1976, Robert Fulford sat in his office. He was working on a new article for the upcoming issue of Saturday Night Magazine. Fulford had recently screened a print of David Cronenberg's new feature film, which was at that time retitled to The Parasite Murders. The filmmaker himself had ensured that Fulford was able to see the film by arranging for a private screening. The critic and magazine publisher had previously given Cronenberg's earlier film Stereo a favorable review. But on this day, Fulford felt less than favorable towards the director's most recent efforts. If using public money to produce films like The Parasite Murders is the only way that English Canada can have a film industry, then perhaps English Canada should not have a film industry. One should say it straight out, The Parasite Murders, written and directed by David Cronenberg and produced by Ivan Reitman with $70,000 of Canadian taxpayers' money, is an atrocity, a disgrace to everyone connected with it, including the taxpayers. Fulford felt that David's new film was depraved, pornographic filth. To him, the film itself was a dangerous parasite infecting the Canadian film system, or what there was of it at the time. So incensed was he following his private screening of the parasite murders, that in the next issue of Saturday Night, he published a 3,000-word takedown of the film. Writing under the name Marshall Delaney, Fulford's film critic pseudonym, the article featured on the cover of the magazine. It was titled... You should know how bad this film is. After all, you paid for it. Fulford's article concluded, At this point, the CFTC is mired in discredited practices and closely associated with people who should never have been allowed near public money. What is needed now is a high-level inquiry into the CFTC and its future conducted by the Secretary of State. This wasn't just a takedown of Cronenberg's film, it was an indictment of the entire funding system for Canadian filmmakers. For David, he was on the eve of releasing his first feature film. But if political tides moved according to Fulford's review and those copycat reviews that soon followed, The Parasite Murders was also at risk of being his final film as a director. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Once Upon a Time in Hollywood North is written and produced by me, Ryan Barnett, and presented by Knockabout Media. It's co-produced by Sonia Jumidi with additional voices by Matt Barnett and Sonia Jumidi. This was episode two, How to Lose Friends and Alienate Funders. In our next installment, we continue our series on David Cronenberg with episode three, Sex in the Snow. If you like us, follow us, rate us, leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. This helps get the podcast get noticed. And we're available just about everywhere else. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. In researching the show, I relied heavily on two books, Cronenberg on Cronenberg, edited by Chris Rodley, and David Cronenberg, interviews with Serge Grunberg, as well as print and online interviews and DVD special features. Special archival audio comes courtesy of Retro Ontario. You can find more Canadian media ephemera on their YouTube channel and Instagram. If you want anything more from me, you can follow me on Instagram at It's Ryan Barnett. Thanks for listening, and until next time. For me, it was um, uh, instant stardom because of the Green Door and the Ivory Snow and the whole right. chain of events that led to, um, you know, the whole big thing. Knock about the media original. Hold on.